right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. The playoffs are here in large part. They have delivered. They have been fun. Brendan, we're coming to our viewers, our listeners. By the way, if you haven't, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, your podcast platform of choice. Hit the subscribe and notification bell on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok, all of those great social media platforms. We're coming to you right after Warriors King, so we're going to start there. But today's show is going to be zipping around some of the more interesting series. That's going to be Warriors Kings and the MF and Sacramento Kings are up 2-0. Light the beam. uh, Draymond Green thought he was in a WWE ring, apparently, I I guess. We'll we'll talk about that. Cavs Knicks we'll talk about. We'll talk about Suns Clippers. We'll talk about Lakers Grizzlies, and we'll touch on Heat Bucks. You know, we're not really going to touch on Celtics, Hawks, or 76ers, Nets. Those series don't feel particularly as competitive. Um, Boston is up 1-0. Philly is now up 2-0 and feels kind of in control of that series, even though Brooklyn, and I think really led by Jacques Vaughn's game plan, has done a commendable job, but like they are just outmatched, outgunned. Uh, I was trying to go for the Hamilton lyric, but I couldn't quite like get it into my head at 1255 a.m. Eastern. Standard yeah, you're time. using your other people in the house are asleep voice, which I respect also. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing and I and I honestly I do respect it. I feel like you got to you got to do a good thing. I, I have like three doors between me and the other people in my house. So, look, it's it's late night stuff. It's NBA playoff basketball. It is a party in Sacramento. And uh, yeah, we're here for it. I also feel like my, honestly, I kind of feel like this is my controlled voice in terms of like audio. And I'm wondering if sometimes I need to like touch into this voice because I talk a little slower. I'm a little more controlled. Like, um, you know, I'm less likely to like do the audio version of taking my foot and stomping it on someone's rib cage in the middle of an NBA game. It reminds um, me of the, uh, the Talladega nights where uh, Ricky Bobby has to drive the car with the what is it, a, a lion or a tiger or whatever in the front seat with yeah. him? Mm-hmm. You're doing that, and it helps. It's that it's that focus poise. But let's get into the series, man. This has been an insane series. So, but I, I want to say this first. I am so happy for Sacramento, for the city of Sacramento, uh, for the city of, for the Sacramento Kings fan base that has been deprived. You know, like, I think a lot of the crowds have been awesome. And like games with stakes are infinitely better everywhere. But like it seems like a fucking party in Sacramento at these games. It seems awesome. Everyone is engaged. It feels like the crowd is connected, not even artificially. Like I look, I go to we go to enough games and there's so much artificial noise. There's so much artificial like gimmicks and t shirt tosses. Like yeah. I I don't know if like the Suns do this, but the Cavs staff loves to like put logos of teams up on the jumbotron of teams they know people largely don't like so they can boo so like the other night they did like they put the yankees logo up it's very corny it's very stupid like is there even like a genuine like yankees guardians thing yeah oh yeah i mean yeah i mean i know like like the 90s there were some series but like come on i don't know but they they put like the Steelers logo up. They put like the I mean honestly they just put a picture of Art Modell up and like you will get like a, a bloodthirsty crowd like ready to ride um in Cleveland Ohio. But like this Kings crowd doesn't like need that. Like yes Not there's so some bad. villainy in Draymond and I think like rooting against the Warriors for them is probably particularly very fun. But they are so joyous. They are so engaged with their team. They are so connected to what that team is that it is making this beautiful environment for basketball. 
And yeah. I, I like honestly, every other fan base needs to step their goddamn game up and try to match what the Kings are providing the rest of the place because this fucking rocks. Yeah. Who knows if we're getting a game five, but if we get a game five, uh, wow, 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 <laughs> it wow. Will be, uh, it will be rocking, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I've, there's been like tons of people all over the internet posting that they're Apple Watches. I just, I want the cut screen of the game happening and then whatever the Apple call center is of all of like the Mayday five alarm alerts that are going off because the decibel level is out of control. And it's like the health and well-being of these people is being called into jeopardy by their high-tech watches because uh, it is just that loud. But look, this team has completely given them something to cheer for. And you mentioned Jacques Vaughn in that other series. I think that's a great example of what coaching can do. Maybe we'll talk about it in Suns Clippers. But man, if it isn't true of this series as well. Um, it's both though, right? I think Mike Brown, like uh, the way that they're controlling the possession game, the fact that they are running a bunch of pick and roll, which they did not do a lot during the regular season, busting stuff out, like having Alex Len uh, be the backup center. He's been awesome. Awesome. Yeah, he's like a plus 17 in 18 minutes out of nowhere, just like completely mothballed during the regular season. And then here he is just getting dunks and cutting to the basket and rim protection and size and all the stuff that he's giving you. And the players are not afraid of this Warriors team. And like, you have to say all of that. You can't just make it the coaching, but um, it, it has been a coaching masterclass. The familiarity of Mike Brown against this Golden State staff that he was on for many, many years. Um, coupled with just the way he's he's just polished this Kings team into something that they don't have any reason to be worried. They know what they are, and they were right to believe it could transport into the playoffs. It has without a problem, and they're awesome, man. They are rolling, and um, I mean, look, they already have a 2-0 lead. It's not exactly crazy to say that they have a very good shot at winning this series, but uh, I think I texted you like early in the third, I was like, the Kings are winning this game. They put this team in foul trouble. Yeah. They were playing with confidence. They were getting downhill. Nobody could defend anything that they were doing. And Curry was good, all that stuff. But even without Draymond getting ejected, I think they win this game. No, I agree. And this is without, you know, Sabonis, I don't think has had like the level of Sabonis games he had in the regular season in either of these games. I, you know, he, he had 24 on eight at 12 in this game, nine boards, but like it didn't, it, Game one, he wasn't particularly effective. He didn't look right, like didn't play right. Golden State did a very good job of containing him, walling up on him, making his life really hard on the DHOs. And when he would try to do those little duckins and drives to the basket, he was better in this game, but it's not high volume. Like Fox was 10 to 23 in this game. He was 2 to 10 from 3. And like it, some of this stuff just isn't fades. And they're getting amazing production on Malik Monk. And I think it, I think Brandon, you're right in just saying it radiates from the fact that they know exactly what they are. I think that is an NBA superpower that like it's hard to quantify. Like I think we are both to some degree like numbers people, right? Like I love going to clean the glass looking and kind of using that data to break stuff down. I love I there's I will look at the analytics. I will look at that stuff. I will I will talk we'll talk about contract value in the summer and like how how much do you like kind of quantify some of the stuff and what does that mean you pay certain people? I just look at what the Kings are and I look at what Mike Brown has done and it's like what is that team about it is about accountability and it's about taking the players you have and molding them into what fits these players best there's other series that we will talk about where i well there's there's one team in particular the team i cover 
primarily that I think like is really having something of an identity crisis at times. That is sometimes like I don't think they always know what they are or what they want to be. The Kings are never going to have that problem. They will they this series, any future series, years to come, as long as this nucleus and Mike Brown is there, like they know what they want to be. They know what the foundation is, and it's and but it's and they're able to put their the, them being able to adjust in the way they did is only I think really possible unless you have that foundation, right? Like unless you know exactly what you are and that the personnel can do it. Scaling up the pick and rolls, scaling up the way you're attacking. Come on, Looney and Draymond Green and all of that stuff understanding that like the way they're throwing two bodies at Steph and just sticking with him. They def- there was a play in this game, Brendan, that, you know, it's, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even, I think it ended with a rebound for golden state on like a bad pool shot or something. They, they like the Warriors were like, okay, we need to get Steph loose. They tried to run elevator doors for Steph and had all these secondary actions off of it and try to create chaos, which is what they do. And Sacramento, which is not a good defensive team was like, Nope, shutting this down held stuff perfectly, reacted perfectly. Like Everything about this team has been in sync. Everything about this team is in concert with each other. The level of play they are at is so, so, so impressive. I, They, they, are, they were the, our team of the regular season. They are the team of the, the very, very beginning, obviously. They're the team of the playoffs so far. It, they're, they're, that is the environment of the playoffs so far to me. Absolutely. And a few more things that they've done to adjust here. Because, yeah, they know what they are, but I think, you know, that's, I guess, the balance of it, right? The players are building off of the identity that they established. I feel like the Kings, as a coaching staff, are expanding and kind of adjusting and bending what they are in real time. And that's what's been so awesome and exciting and a big reason why they're winning these games. You know, they have uh, Harrison Barnes, who I believe now has seven offensive rebounds through the first two games. He averaged one per game in the regular season. Um, Monk, I would say, you know, isn't always the most consistent player. And he was not nearly as good uh, in this first game as he was in the, uh, in the second game as he was in the first game. But just the idea of getting him downhill and especially to close out game one, they absolutely had nothing to do about that. Kevon Looney was just smacking uh, fouls into Malik Monk. He got to the line 14 times, made all 14 of those. He was pretty effective again tonight. They closed with him. They're closing small. They don't care. Keegan Murray does not have a major role in this series, and it hasn't even stopped them. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it's a huge testament to them. But you said something that I actually am curious if we have to reevaluate. You said that this is not a good defensive team. I don't know if I'm, like, fully sold that they aren't. Like, it's it's funny, but I really feel like they at least execute a game plan and compete. I continue to believe that their pace of play, the fact that they are so focused on and sold on offense and the fact that their personnel is just, it lacks the size and athleticism that you would want if you were to just pick, you know, players out of a hat and start a new, uh, a team fresh, you would definitely not want, you know, some of their personnel, but everything else, it's good. I, I think the game the executing the game plan stuff is where I think the defense comes in because like there there's no like metric for them in the regular season that tells you this is a good defensive team. But two games, like they have absolutely nailed the game plan against the Warriors. They are not think about how many teams we've seen bamboozled, like confused, put in the put in the spinner, just absolutely KO'd by what the Warriors are offensively and the read and react stuff. Even though there's all this film 
the talent of Golden State wins out, the scheme and the chaos of Golden State wins out. The Kings are just prepared for it. And I think a couple things have helped them. Number one, uh, I we're just in an era of Draymond where he doesn't look to shoot anymore. You can just sag off of him entirely and like he will get the ball on the wing and it's just like he's not even looking and like that that is just it's it's hard to to have that lack of spacing in this NBA. Secondly, Jordan Poole has been awful. He's been awful. He's been bad this whole year, I think for the most part. But I think a lot of the decision-making and the finishing in this game was was really, really bad. And it can't all be Steph. It can't all be Clay. Like, you know, Wiggins, it's not really fair. Like, it's not, like Wiggins has looked, I think, pretty solid for coming back. But it's hard to ask him to ascend when he just is coming back, really, from this long, long absence. And, like, it, they need more from Poole. The Draymond stuff is tricky. Yeah. I, I, we should probably hit on the Draymond thing just because, like, I wonder now also, like, the big thing hanging over this now it's a throwback to 2016 is like, is he going to get suspended for that play? Like, does he, did he put himself in jeopardy to miss game three, a game that the Warriors absolutely need to win if they want to win the series and make the series competitive again. Sure. Draymond I mean, put well, what do you at think risk. that Draymond put himself at risk? What do you think they'll do? Because I saw a lot of people and I, I think this is how I feel. Um, that's why you come here folks. So I can say, I think this is how I feel. No, my view on it is that Sabonis, I'm fine with how they called it in the game tonight because I do feel like the excessive force of like stomping on another player, you can't have that. It, but in terms that was of... A, that was a move you really see in a WWE ring. That's what that move literally. looked like. It looked like it, like, literally. Um, but as far as determining a suspension or anything like that, I have a hard time coming down on just Draymond getting suspended and Sabonis basically the only punishment just being that flagrant one because he did he did instigate it whether you know the response was equivalent to the initial or any of that I obviously it doesn't seem like it was but how can you suspend Draymond for reacting to somebody that doesn't feel realistic I know it's similar to LeBron but in the case of Sabonis this time I feel like it was more obvious, more egregious, and uh, I don't know if you realize this, Chris, but uh, DeMontis Sabonis is not LeBron James, so they're going to be more likely to punish Sabonis than maybe they would have LeBron. Like, let's just be real there, too. Yeah, and I, and I think this one's a little more two-sided than that, and like I, I think also the stakes, accum- there's not like an accumulation of Draymond stuff. I feel like I don't think he should get suspended either, but like if he does, it's, it's off a of reputation. Like it, it would be off a of reputation if he's getting suspended for that. And I actually wonder if it, the way he reacted to the crowd during all that might affect yeah, it too. That was also he dug himself a deeper hole I mean, by doing that. Th- but this is like I look, Draymond is an icon. He's one of the best defenders in the league. He is all of these amazing things. Th- this is just like one of the I was we, I was texting about the turnover stuff with Golden State in this game and just like the lack of carefulness. You're like, but that's who they are. This is kind of also who Draymond is. And at a certain point, though, you just need him to turn down the volume like a little bit in these certain spots to not put yourself at risk here. Like your season, you're down 2-0. Your season is on the line. This era of the Warriors is to some degree like on the line with we know what the CBA changes and the money and all of this stuff, right? Like this is a really loaded time for Golden State and you need to just not do that stuff. Like yeah. you just, you can't put yourself at risk at all. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and the kind of like weird joy he seemed to get out of all of it when it's like, you know, maybe the Warriors win that game if 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 he's in there as a rim protector and point uh pick and roll defender, they were just able to really score on Looney a lot down the stretch and and extend their lead and make it so that some curry shot making and everything else just wasn't going to be enough. Um but as obnoxious as he is, like yeah, that's the reality, right? Draymond is the only reason that I think they've even had a chance in these games, he's the only reason that their defense has mm-hmm. been able to held, hold up at all against the onslaught that the Kings are bringing on them. And so they need him. I don't think they win game three without him. And obviously, if you're down 3-0, history tells us you're done. So I I, I don't think they will suspend him, but he's got to be more careful. Because like you said, it was cumulative in that Cavs series because it was the final. So there was a whole playoff ahead of that. The technicals obviously had like actually added up. This wasn't like a one-off thing. And uh, that's what happens when, when you have that demonstrated thing. So like doing this in game two, doesn't exactly set him up for success going forward either to be on his best behavior, but we'll see. The the last thing I think we should say about the series is again, just the Kings are in the driver's seat. I, I, you know, I don't know. We'll see what game three looks like. This could easily be two, two coming back to Sacramento. Like that would not surprise me. Like, it's not like this. They've been blowing out the Warriors, but but they've won two games and they've looked really good and they look comfortable. I I think there are some clear adjustments. Golden State's going to have to, to make and figure some stuff out. Like, do they have to just play smaller? You know, can can Wigan to give you more? Can they get something from Poole? Like, there are questions to figure out. Yeah, I think Poole will play better at home, and I think you got to play Kaminga. That's one thing. I I, I thought he actually was pretty good against Mm -hmm. Fox in game one. I thought that when he was able to just guard, you know, an ISO or pick and roll and and try to contain Fox's drives, I actually thought he was solid. He's just such a question mark offensively. His decision-making is not always there. But it felt like Kerr was starting to trust him in the regular season, so I was pretty surprised that he didn't play as much. It felt like all of his minutes just went to Gary Payton, who played almost 30 after playing like in the teens, the first game. Um, And then I don't know, like the big thing that you notice with this team is they don't have the shooting and they don't have Porter. They don't have Bielitsa. Those guys from last year who were able to just complete some offensive lineups for them. I know Anthony Lamb is going to struggle to defend, but I've thought that we might see him, and I still think we might, just as a floor spacer. They upgraded his his contract to a full NBA deal instead of a two-way before the playoffs over Ty Jerome and whatever. So I I don't know why you do that if you don't at least try him. So I could see that at home too. But also the Warriors just play better at home, so that might be enough. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, game three, a lot of tension. A lot of tension on the line in Game 3 when you go back to Golden State. Brennan, speaking of games with tension, let's talk about Cavs-Knicks because I think there is some tension in this series. I want to ask you first, as someone who... Like, I was at that game, obviously, thinking about it, covering and all that stuff. Um, I I want to ask you first, what did you take away from from Game 1? And we should know it. I guess we're recording this. comes out ahead of Game 2. Josh Hart is doubtful. And Josh Hart was one of the big difference makers in game one with a bunch of offensive rebounds. He's a doubtful with an ankle sprain. And I don't, I think if he plays, he doesn't play. That's a big, 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 big advantage for Cleveland that they have to take advantage of and, and get a win that a game they absolutely need. So what did you take away from game one? A lot. I have two, uh, two tracks we can have uh, that I want to talk about with the Cavs specifically uh the Knicks side look they just that that was a Knicks performance uh nothing really surprised me about what we saw from the Knicks 
I thought Hardenstein played really well. I thought that you know, obviously the offensive rebounding is the story. I think we'll see Randall be a little bit better as the series goes along. You would think just as he gets more comfortable, even if he doesn't feel better, he might just get used to playing with the pain and even that might help him. We'll see. I didn't feel like terribly surprised by much on the Knicks side. So I have two Cavs topics. One is big picture. One is more granular. What do you want to start with? Let's go granular. Um, let's go granular because I, to me, like there's granular stuff that builds into bigger picture stuff. If I, I, I I'm curious to see if we're on the same wavelength with some of this. Mm-hmm. We haven't prepped this in, in that way, so I'm curious. But I, I think there's granular stuff that leads big into big picture. I mean, stuff. my we'll granular, granular thing is it's not. Uh, the question is just how do Mobley and Garland get back on track? You know. Oh, see, I, I, I have a. I think it to me it's the the wing stuff is just like staring us in the face, being like if they just had Royce O'Neal replace like replacement to above replacement level wing guy. Who well, could that shoot. actually goes into my big picture one, to be honest with you, which is okay. a question that I have for okay. you as somebody who kind of followed it all all through the off season into the season and up to now trade deadline along the way. Uh, is it that the timing of the Donovan Mitchell trade screwed? them with their depth and kind of roster balance that just getting it in done in September just left them without a lot of options. And then the deadline is what it is. You never know if you're going to get a deal done, if you're going to want to pay the price you're going to have to pay, but that's the best I could come up with because it's just been so glaring all season. We know exactly what their limitations were going to be. We know exactly what moments of the game and types of players they don't have. And then here we are game one of the playoffs and it's like, okay, yep, that we were all right. That, that was the problem. Um, was it just the timing of the Mitchell trade? So I, I think it's a couple of things. I think the timing didn't help, right? I think like Royce O'Neal was already traded, I think, by the time Mitchell's traded. So there wasn't exactly like, you know, in a, in a different world, they, they get Royce O'Neal in that trade as well. And that kind of maybe helps smooth some of this over. I think, but if you want to go back further, I think, Brandon, one of the issues is the fact they gave up a first for Carrot Silvert. At the previous trade deadline, they trade for they trade Ricky Rubio and 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 a first and two seconds for Levert. They get the first last year becomes Ochai Baji, who you know I don't know if he's uh, would have played on a playoff team this year, but I think gave a lot of nice minutes at the end of the year for Utah. He is then traded um, in that deal to get Donovan Mitchell. You do that ten times out of ten, obviously. But, but I think like in the fact that they didn't have a first at this deadline, I think the prices for the guys they would have liked were too high. Like they had interest in Josh Hart. I know that for a fact that they could not. Josh Hart went for a first round pick. They were not getting in the conversation for wings. You know, like I, I in a different world, there's there's a situation where Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, is a, is you could get you could reroute him to Cleveland. You give one of those teams a first and. You get you get DFS. You know you could have gotten maybe Royce O'Neal is available for a first if the Nets are, are pivoting or something, right? Like there are deals you could have made, but you did not have the ammunition because you used it on Carousel Levert, who had a nice season for you, but is a very limited player and isn't exactly the kind of perfect modern wing you need. He is like a guy that I think you would like to have in in some ways. Like I think there's things he does that are valuable. I also think like I would rather use my assets and my roster building to get wings. Um, and like, you know, Cora has not developed in an exact way. And the, and the guys they've gotten, uh, you know, for in, in a few DFAs, Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, they have not been, you know, Dean Wade, like played in the first half and got yanked out the second half. He might not play the rest of the series. We'll see what Lamar gives them. 
Well, there's yeah. there's a reason that like Danny Green might need to play minutes in this series. It, it's a real big picture yeah. problem for Cleveland. Yeah, Rubio minus nine, Levert minus fourteen, Wade minus fourteen. Um, By the way, Kevin Love, uh, Kevin Love looking a little alive with the Miami Heat in the playoffs, eh? He did. Yeah, and turns out you know no Giannis helps him out a little bit. Um, I thought Osmond actually did pretty well in this game, and that might just be their answer. Um, you know, just... I, it, when he had to navigate screens against Brunson, I think he was kind of chopped liver. So maybe, you know, they're going to watch the same film we all watched and, and probably make him do that a well, lot can, more. Can, so um, can, let me, but, let me, let me ask you, know. you this about Jetty. Jetty is the three point shooting answer and he's like the pace answer, but would you feel comfortable enough like doubling down on him because he would have to spend time guarding Brunson? Like, would you be able to live with that for what he's giving you offensively for Cleveland? Why does he have to guard Brunson? That was another question. Um, why does Donovan Mitchell not guard good players? Well, number one, I think I think there's like an energy thing. I think Mitchell, honestly, like the the times he did defend Brunson in the game, I think he did a good job. Like it was not la- it was not last year where he was a turnstile. He was pretty competitive. There was just plays where like they gave up offensive rebounds. There's one where uh, Brunson that is just seared into my head. Um, it I watched it in real time. I was like, oh boy. Just like, oh boy, here we go. Brunson is on him one-on-one and he takes a step back three from the left wing and he misses it. If you watch, I tweeted the clip of this. If you go back and watch it on the other wing, Josh Hart is on the other freaking wing and he just like runs by Karis Lover because Karis Lover is looking at the ball like it's an air balloon in the air. Just not paying attention to the guy he's supposed to stick his butt into and but at least yeah. obstruct. And Josh yeah. Hart gets the offensive rebound and Isaiah, and Isaiah Hartenstein is like puts his arms up in the air like he just won the 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 heavyweight championship of the world after this like offensive rebound and bucket by Josh Hart and I'm just like brother yeah. what are we doing here but I I think Mitchell will need to spend some time guarding Brunson I think the thing is that they're all, it's also just like they asked I think part of the calculus was they asked so much of him offensively because their offense is kind of a little I think a little vanilla. That yeah, I, I so think, I have some. I, I have yeah. a crazy number for you oh, on Mitchell's offense. Would where would you if I asked you to set an over under on what Donovan Mitchell's fourth quarter usage rate was in this game? Where would you just put the line if you were to make me bet? I already know it, but what would hmm. your ballpark be for this? Like forty two and a half. Okay. Um, so Kawhi Leonard was at 36% in the game. We're going to talk about next in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. This is just the fourth quarter. Darren Fox in game one of Kings warriors was 42% usage rate in the fourth quarter. Donovan Mitchell in the fourth quarter against the New York Knicks played all 12 minutes. 55%. Yeah. I should have set the line too rate. low. I set the line. Too low. I was thinking my head's like 50. Darius Garland. Zero field goal attempts, zero assists in the fourth Inex- quarter. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. Who whose fault is that? I think it's honestly, I, I think it's on JB Bickerstaff in a lot of ways. I really do. I, I, I put it on Cle- Donovan. So I think it is on Donovan, but I think also there's culpability in the coaching staff that all year, all year, there has been a thing where Cleveland kind of at the at the end of games and it just kind of doesn't look like it has answers. It doesn't always feel like they they kind of know exactly what they want to be or what they want to do. And they just say, okay, Donovan Mitchell, you, you solve this for us. They, they lack like a dynamicism, um, a jolt. Like 
that like a lot of these other good teams have that the Knicks have, right? Like the fact that they have the Cleveland had like a top ten offense was the fact that Donovan Mitchell had this absurd year and that Darius Garland is very good and that like the like the talent I think overwhelmed what the scheme could be, right? I think that is just the reality, you know, of of having that talent. But I think you get in the situation, you see that there's just like not there's not creativity in kind of what they're doing. Like it is shooting spacing would help. I, I think that absolutely will loosen things up. But like there's just not a ton of creativity in like how they're setting things up. And it just becomes like Donovan, we're gonna I really think, Brendan, one of the things that hurts Cleveland the most is how slow they play. That might be a Donovan and Darius thing more than anything else. But this team is like would be so much better off with just pushing a little harder, pushing in pace a little bit more. It would look a little cleaner if they could just get ahead of these set defenses. Yeah, I thought their decision making, I thought Mitchell's decision making specifically and and Mobley too was just a touch slow a lot. Um, and I actually think the the pass to Allen and the dunker spot was there all night for them, for both of those guys, for Mobley on the short roll and for Mitchell just coming off of the pick and roll because Mitchell Robinson was stepping up to meet them at their drive, whether again, Mobley catching the ball off of the slip or Mitchell just getting downhill. Robinson stepping up to meet them where they are on that drive. And, and that pass to Allen was there. Mobley missed it a couple times. Mitchell wasn't looking for it a lot, but there were a couple times where Mitchell just skipped it, skipped the Mobley step completely. No short roll. I'm just getting the ball to Allen right away. Uh, and, and he got a, a couple buckets that way. And, and maybe there's lobs to be had there. Maybe there's, you know, more to, to mess with, with that. I, I just thought that they were, a step slow uh, with their decision-making. I think Garland um, just being involved more, I guess is kind of the coaching side of things. And and the fact that their offense is pretty straightforward and simple, it's just, you know, mismatch creation and attack. And like that works because that's what Donovan Mitchell is great at. Darius Garland can cook bigs and get past those guys and, and, you know, then use that gravity to make plays for his teammates and all the stuff that, that Garland is great at. We know, what their offense looks like. But um, I guess the reason that I blame it a little bit on Mitchell is because we've seen this with him before. And we've talked about uh-huh. this on the show all season, right? It's like, I, I know the circumstances are different. I know the personnel is different, but the result is the same, which is that the team is just going to go exactly how far Mitchell is going to take it and, and not a step further. And I just don't think he is great enough to do, to be that type of player. You know, there's like two in the league, you know, Giannis, Maybe Durant when he's at his best, LeBron a few years ago for, you know, his 15 year prime, like that list is not long. And unfortunately, Mitchell is not on it. No. And I, I think I think that's exactly right. I think you they should look at Sacramento and be like, this is how you can overcome some of this. Like you play with pace, you like try to find shooting like you. There's all these things that they just haven't done that I think are really big roster concerns. And look, I, I have I have thought thought in this series it's like okay like what would Kenny Atkinson with the net teams he had do differently to kind of set this up and make some of this easier you know like when I think if there was a good adjustment JB did on offense it was to get Garland like in the corner like I think putting Garland off ball as like a spacer and using him in that way as a decoy in certain positions is a smart thing to do I, I think that did loosen up think some things up for Cleveland at times um I I think like I want. I've wondered like, okay, how would Quinn Snyder solve this? 
Like, I think there's just I like was going to say, I'm like, I, all due respect to Kenny Atkinson, can we use guys who have jobs? Like, Mike Brown, you just brought up. <laughs> perfect example. Like, what would yeah. he do? Well, Great. And, Fine and, question. What would Kenny and, Atkinson uh, do? It's like, he didn't want to coach Charlotte. So, like, I mean, come on. Well, he doesn't get I mean, to be brought up in that. I, in that I, 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 the smart decision by Kenny Atkinson, honestly. Smart decision, but, but like, uh, okay. come on. But like, and also like, there's a there's an assistant. Uh, Jordy Fernandez was one of the was an assistant under Mike Malone. He was the the back when they were the Canton Charge. He was the head coach of the Canton Charge in Cleveland. He I think is very very involved in designing Sacramento's offense. I as as far as I understand it. So like, I, I think there's just like a lack of offensive imagination. And like Cleveland has like Luke Walton, and like 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 I the. the like the I, disdain who, with which you said that name. It's like, look, Luke Walton is like, like an experience uh, NBA coach was like a very, like he's a Luke, the Luke Walton Oscar from Zach Lowe's thing. But it's like, I don't think like he, he wasn't exactly known for like creating these pristine offenses no. in Sacramento. You know what I mean? Like that he's was the guy who, who, who died so that the Kings could rise. I mean, it, you know, yeah, he, uh, he, uh, when they light the beam, it is not like the Luke Walton bat symbol going up in the air you know like it, it is no. it is like project but it so like i look i i think these there's some bigger picture stuff cleveland has to figure out i don't think you're wrong about the mitchell thing but i think it is a little column a column b in terms of what is the game plan what sure. is the coaching what is the personnel i i really brennan think cleveland is one of those teams that is i one of my biggest pet peeves that i have with teams is when they just like they decide to slow it down for no reason like they just say, what if we like they they make life harder for themselves by playing against set defenses all the time? Cleveland does yeah. this repeatedly, and like the the ways they kickstart fast breaks are okay. Evan Mobley has to get out defensive rebounds and push. He that is not happening. That did not happen in game one. Jetty Osmond is kind of one of those guys. I, I don't know court, if they got a single defensive rebound in game. Didn't one. Fe- can tell you didn't in arena did not feel like it. <laughs> it did not feel like it. Like there's all these little things that allow them to kick into pace, but it's like Mitchell and Garland, I think also have to be more aggressive in that sense and push the pace and push and transition. I think they need like Bicker said, they need to game plan for that. Honestly, like they need to push the tempo up. I think that will make things easier for them. And if you can, yeah. if you can get, if instead of like, if you they stop initiating their offense at like 16 seconds and get that down to like 18, 20, Maybe the traps and Darius Garland are, are, that the Knicks were running are a little less fierce. Maybe they're a little less tight. Maybe you just give them a little, a little more wiggle room for yourself that you need. I think one last thing on this that I think even if it is going to be a Mitchell-centric offense, which it is always, you know, Garland can do more, uh, but this would help everybody really because it would make it less. It, it's fine if Mitchell has the ball. The problem that I had was him taking just contested difficult shots and like he, he can make them but that that contributes to it being slow that contributes yeah. to other guys not getting involved all the rest one thing i noticed from this game uh humongous tip of the hat to quentin grimes who refused to switch mm-hmm. um and like if you go back and watch they were setting a ton of stuff which is garland slipping uh as a screener for mitchell just to try to get the switch they did it with Osman. At a certain point, Mitchell just said, screw it. I'm not even worried about if the guy's actually going to try to switch on to me or uh, any of that. I'm just going to try to get downhill because he does that late in he, games. He just he, finds that extra burst of yeah. energy. But he, lo- he loves to reject screens. Loves to reject the screen. Yeah. Yeah. But if he can, if they can actually build some things in, maybe it's two screeners as like a, a, a kind of a double screen or some horn stuff or different things like that to just at least make the switch happen because if you're going to spend the 10 seconds to try to get it you damn sure should get it <laughs> before you're going to attack and there were so many times where he was trying to get Brunson 
And Grimes just fought through it and it ended up being, okay, now there's 12 seconds left on the clock. I'm still isolated against Quentin Grimes. Oh shit. And then he finally had to go do something. And, and often he made the shot cause he's great, but uh, it contributed to a lot of these other problems. So that would be a nice, easy sort of thing to keep doing what you're doing, but just make it work a little better. I think on Cleveland's side. Yeah. And I think some DHOs like with, with Mobley or Allen when, when it's just the one of them, maybe not both of them on the floor, but I think like that could be a way to grease some things as well. Um, Brendan, you you were picking. I think originally your pick was you know Knicks in seven or Knicks in six in the series. I don't I don't remember exactly ended up, but did this? I had Knicks in seven, and then when Randall was going to be out, I said Cavs in seven, and now I'm going to stick with Knicks in seven just because I feel like the injury allows me the grace of switching back and forth. So I'm back on Knicks in seven. Okay, I'm a little more like. Cavs got something to prove in game two. I I think the line the like even the hard injury obviously is a big deal, but. Um, Cavs got something to prove in game two. Let's move on to Clippers Suns, which was a raucous time for me watching this at home. I had a lot of fun, Brennan, watching this in person. This um, was like the only game you tweeted during. I feel like that's a great testament to how much fun you were Yeah, having. considering how much I don't like Twitter, that's true. I really don't like Twitter. It, um, brought, I, it brought some Twitter out of you. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, Let's, I wanted to just start with Russ. I, I really just want... I'm going to do this. Kudos to that guy. Like, on a, like on a very human level, this guy like was clearly miserable in LA with the, with the Lakers. He has been kind of a vagabond since... And kind of like a man out of place, out of time. You know, since leaving the, the, the Wizards. Has really since leaving Oklahoma City, but like especially so since since leaving the Wizards when he was great for that the end of that season, and there's it's never it never worked with the Lakers. The mental toughness that guy must have to just keep going, to keep just being believing in himself, and like in that game in particular, he does not shoot well at all. Like if you're the Suns, you're happy every time he shoots, but he makes this outstanding block on Booker that really seals the game. Made a ton of big plays, getting offensive rebounds. Kawhi is the story of that game for the Clippers and how fucking good Kawhi Leonard was. But I, I just wanted to say that I, just on a human level, very happy for Russell Westbrook. Very much am, am jealous of the mental fortitude that guy just seems to have and droves deep down inside of him. I have a game for us to play. Oh boy. Uh, for you to play on this note. It's called Best Quote of the Weekend. Are you ready? We don't have yeah, theme music go. or anything. Uh, J- first Jake, one from, Jake puts, it, put, puts him in and post and uh, just have some fun Some with like it. circus music. That's what I want. Because <laughs> um, this it, 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 it's a little sarcastic, as you'll see. First one from Russell Westbrook. Whatever is needed of me to win the game, I'll do it. True on Saturday. True on Sunday, sorry. Not really always true. That's that's number one. Okay. Number two, uh, Desmond Bain on Rui Hachimura. It's probably the best game of his entire career. It's a seven-game series. Let's see if he can do it again on Wednesday. About Rui's, what was it, 27 points? That one was a fun one. And then uh, from Joel Embiid's post-game press conference slash stand-up act on Sunday, on Monday... Game two of Brooklyn, Philly. He it, there's it's a tie. One he was asked about Cam Johnson dunking on him. He said, "I don't remember getting dunked on." 
Then he was asked about the fouls and how much uh, defensive swarming he was receiving by the Nets in game two. And he said that they were pulling a Nick Nurse and asking the refs for a bunch of fouls. Um, so that's kind of four, but the Embiid, it, 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 it's one and the same. It's just, it's that entire stretch from Embiid. So you have Desmond Bain on Rui Hachimura, Russ telling us he's always played this good of defense in the playoffs or in his career, or Joel Embiid just performing stand-up at the press conference table. I mean, I'm going to go with Embiid because, like, the Nick Nurse one is really making me giggle. <laughs> I had to Especially see just again. kicking Nurse while he's down. Like, the dude might lose his job, and Embiid's like, yeah, you suck. Yeah, that uh, that's, that's pretty good. I think the, the rehatch... Here's the... the, the the Desmond Bain one is also there because, like, the Grizzlies cannot help themselves in just talking shit. I know. That's what's great about that one is, like, hey, buddy, you lost. <laughs> you lost the game. It doesn't look, really... Just, and you look, lost your best player. Like, how are you still finding the 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 gall to, like, pull that out? It was... The, it was the, I respect it, though. It's, it's confidence that I do not have. Yeah, but the amount of... T- like, if and when the Lakers win that series, and we'll talk about that one next. Um, yeah, that we are going to see John Moran saying the West, like whatever his quote was about the West. Oh God! The, the amount of times we're going to see that interspersed with like LeBron and AD and like Austin Reeves highlights is going to be fucking incredible. <laughs> like, yeah. like we need we we need to capitalize on that. We're going to need to like Dylan. We're going to need you to make a fucking fire TikTok for that. We're gonna need we're gonna need something. We're gonna need some heat with that video because like that video is gonna be memed to death. I'm absolutely sure of it. <laughs> the Lakers no mercy series. for Jaw, despite despite the serious things that he went through. Uh yeah, no, nobody's gonna yeah, cut he's, any slack with that. He, no, but that, that team just cannot help itself in, in talking shit. And like it is look, I I kinda glad we have like a like a villain. Like sure. they're kind of the they're kind of the villain team with Dylan Brooks just being like kind of like absolutely the heel but um to get back to to, to this this yeah speaking of villains game. russell westbrook right i let me let <laughs> me uh let me jump in here so i thought this was uh, obviously one of the better defensive games we've seen from russ since he left oklahoma city if not you know even even longer than that um and it was in a variety of ways like he he had that block on booker late he I thought did an incredible job against kevin durant in this game um and Testament to Ty Lue, credit to Ty Lue, salute to Ty Lue for mixing up coverages minute to minute. If you don't pay attention, you might have, you know, if you're geek like us and taking notes on any of this stuff, you write down one thing of who's guarding who, and then all of a sudden a timeout happens, even a trip to the free throw line happens. That's when their first switch was uh, in this game, was at a, a free throw line switch. And then all of a sudden, every single player is guarding somebody different. But when Russ got a chance on Durant, I think he guarded Durant second or third most in this game that was awesome his rebounding was great he was disrupting dribbles when devin booker would beat him um, off a screen he was amazing at the reach around slap out of his uh the ball out of his hands and even if booker regained possession you're just disrupting you're just he was very very good um and so that's one thing but i also think you have to just be realistic and say the suns looked all types of out of sorts offensively from the very beginning of this game. And I don't think the Russell Westbrook thing is necessarily always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Even if it does, the Suns have much bigger internal problems to sort out regardless of, of what Westbrook does, because they just did not seem like they had a plan of action with how much swarming 
switchable, versatile defense the Clippers were throwing at them, which they should have predicted because that's uh, newsflash exactly what the Clippers always do defensively, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, and like on the other side, I don't think the Suns' defensive focus was particularly good in the first half. Like I thought it really ramped up in the second half. Booker made some really nice defensive plays, but like the defensive focus was not sharp in the first half, and I think that cost you. I think they kind of felt like they were going to come in and, and maybe didn't have to, to worry about some of that. It felt like there was like just an edge that the Clippers had overall that that um, the, the Suns just did not. I I I came away also, Brennan, this game. This is like to me like a small thing uh, as a reminder that there's probably still kind of an adjustment period to be had with Durant because like I think you're still I think like where you could how see long it do they is, have that? Well, that's the thing, but it's like you can tell that I think him and Booker just are still figuring out how to play together in close tight games like that. That if there was a, a downside of of them trying to figure this out on the fly, it's that like it's that. Like with the clip, the Clippers are just like, okay, it's a Kawhi show. We're gonna do what we can to get him loose. Kawhi's just gonna go do Kawhi stuff. Durant, you know, and then they, they really countered well when Durant, to his credit, was just playing amazing off ball defense to deny Kawhi a bunch, just like putting all of his effort into that. That was like astounding to watch Kevin Durant do that. That you can tell that it's like it felt like it was like the Durant like kind of show for stretches or like Booker would just have the ball. There's there's there was no like connectivity between those two, and I think maybe that's a game where like I trust those guys as basketball IQ. I trust those guys as feel for the game to kind of figure that out on the fly. But it has to like game two. You it kind of probably needs to happen. Like I think maybe some of the defensive stuff with the Clippers you figure out a new counter. Um, you know maybe there's there's Chris Paul gives you a little bit more. Maybe like you solve some of the center stuff. Whatever it is. Like maybe like Jock Landale is is the right answer for you instead of Bismack Biombo. Maybe that center switch like does is something you carry over and it works. But I think the connectivity between those two guys has to kind of get a little cleaner landing game for some of this to get kind of massaged out. Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't think they ran a single Booker Durant pick and roll. I don't nope, think they I ran a single Paul Durant pick and roll. They still have not busted that out. Uh, there's a certain stubbornness to Monty Williams with with some of that stuff that is hard to get around, but it's also hard to separate from a certain stubbornness that Chris Paul has to do things a certain way. And so it, I think the, the, the PTSD that I think Suns fans were having and anyone who watched that team fall apart last year was having is the jittery sort of the, this, this opponent, this opponent's defense is manhandling them and they don't seem to have a plan to get out of it. And you would think Kevin Durant would be this magical antidote to fix that, and yet there were a lot of possessions in that game, first through third quarters, whatever, really the whole game, where it was like a little too close to deja vu to some of those Dallas series, even New Orleans last year, the finals in 2021, et cetera, where the Suns, just did not seem to to have answers. They have them though. That that's the difference this time. They have Kevin Durant. They just need to figure out how they're going to incorporate Kevin Durant. Um, on that note, you tweeted something that I wanted to bring up on the show. You said, like, for heaven's sake, NBA teams don't just run ISOs late in games. It makes it so much harder on this, your players. This, this was about Devin Booker. Yeah, I think the bigger issue with the last play where where Westbrook blocked him is I'm not sure why they were going for a quick two with zero timeouts and like 15 seconds left on the yes. clock. That, that that was a weird too. decision. Yeah, I but didn't understand. What do you that. think they should do then? Because I feel like most players would tell you you're wrong. <laughs> like players would be I, like, "No, give me the ball." No, 100. percent I think Donovan Mitchell would tell me I'm wrong. I think Devin Booker would tell me I'm wrong. I think LeBron James would tell me that I'm I'm wrong. I just don't. I just don't think you're helping yourself. 
Like you're making Russell Westbrook's job easier when you are dribbling away the clock and you're kind of telegraphing what you're going to do. Like you're yeah, like I think like, that's fair, but I also don't think you can run like a whole entire like, no set. But, you know, but like so run up, run up, just run, like a, have, a screen. Have, is that what you're yeah. asking for? Have you have Kevin fucking Durant? Have him screen and flare. Like at the very least, if you have Kevin Durant flaring off of a Devin Booker, Devin Booker, Devin Booker is going to be able to read that and say, okay. Do I make this easy pass that is going to be there for a Durant catch and shoot three that you know he's going to get a clean look because he's seven feet tall and like is always any three he takes for the most part is like a good open shot? Or does the fear of Durant in that situation give me a lane where I can drive and they panic and maybe I get fouled? Right? Like you at least give yourself optionality. I, I think in those spots, it's just like you're as much as like I understand you trust in yourself to score and you trust the, you trust the craft and for those guys. And like, that's just how this works. You're telegraphing to Russell Westbrook, what you want to do, especially when like he, your options there, you're either going to drive into me or you're going to try and, and get to the lane and get fouled, or you're going to take three. And at a certain point, it was like very clear that Booker was just going to drive. I just think you need to like, and maybe some of that is like that, that maybe some of that I'm just wrong. Cause like, that's just how guys play. Like, I mean, I, I, we, how much we applaud like Damian Lillard for the shot he hit against over Paul George, you know, the, the, that turned into like a meme and he waves goodbye and everything. It's like, that was like, not a good shot. Really? Like, that was a really high, hard shot. Like I, the, the most important shot in Cleveland Cavaliers history is a Kyrie shot. That is like, a junk wing three that he's just like late. He's tired. He's fatigued. It's late in the game and he's ISO ball and he sticks it. Cause he's Kyrie Irving. And like, if Booker makes a shot, I'm not saying this like that's just hundred percent true. Right? Like if, if he makes that shot, this isn't a thing that I tweet. That isn't a thing that I say. I just, I look at him thinking you're making, you need something a little bit better there. And to me, I'm just like, okay, like let's just, just do a little more, create a little more. And I think you give yourself a little more option. I'm not saying run spit, like a run a Spain pick and roll or run horns. Like, yeah. but like run a pick and roll with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker space it. I was shooting have to have Aiden in the dunker spot. And at the very least you have Durant flaring out for a three and you have a really good option just with that. Then a better one than you got. Sure. I, I think that's all valid. It, I, this to me, big picture is one of those games. That's kind of like peak game one. Yeah. And it 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 makes me wonder as much as I was just, you know, hitting a little bit of the panic button on this performance by Phoenix, it, it very much also feels like the type of game where you could make the case that it was an everything went right game for the Clippers outside of their three-point shooting, although, you know, I'm not sure who you're really looking at there. Maybe Powell could shoot a little better, but other than that, you know, what I'm not I don't know. Um but other than that, a lot went right. They won the offensive rebounding battle. They, you know, got the Suns out of sorts with some junk defenses and lineup changes. And, you know, Kawhi was about as good as, you know, you could imagine. I mean, he probably can be better, but but he was very great. Eric Gordon was just enough supplemental offense. Like, all that stuff. Um, and the 50-50 balls kind of all went their way. Like, you could very much paint the the picture of this was – this was the lucky game that sometimes happens in like game four, but it, it just went that way for the Clippers. I don't fully think that, but you could also tell me the Suns look much more like themselves in game two and win by 15 
like they should at home. And, you know, everybody feels a lot better about Phoenix again after Wednesday night. I I don't really know which way I lean because I do think a lot of it is just effort and execution and IQ and being ready for these things. And I don't know why they weren't in game one, but you'd think another 48 minutes of film should help them get there. Yeah, uh, I will just, I want to, the last thing we'll say about this is Michael Pina in his write-up at the ringer um, had some second spectrum stuff on Kawhi that just melted my brain. I don't know if you caught this, but uh, 20, all 24 of Leonard's field goal attempts were contested. 16 were not assisted by teammates. He had a shot quality of 39.8%. So you'd expect to make shoot 39.8% on his shots. He, had he an, shot over uh, 50. He had an effective field goal percentage of 60.4%. Yeah, he's a robot. This guy is... You cannot guard him. He legitimately might have been the best basketball player like over like the last stretch run of the season. And he was the MVP race because he didn't like the team wasn't as good and like didn't play as many games and all this stuff. But like Well, let me ask you this that can he be better than he was on in game one? Do you think there's prob- another 15 points in him? Maybe, but like even but my the bigger question is like, can he sustain that? Yeah. You know, like can he sustain that level of shot making for seven games? Can he do it four times? The other thing Russ's defense allowed him to not have to do was like really go supernova defensively. He he didn't yeah. end up needing to do that because Tyloo schemed up a good enough plan and 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 Russ was able to handle some of the one-on-one stuff as was Gordon as was Batum and so you didn't have to say okay Kawhi like go go do your thing. Um late in that game too, we did see and I didn't really notice this in real time but he did start to pick apart the the Chris Paul switch a little bit. And if that's something they go to more aggressively, uh, talk about PTSD from game from the Dallas series last year. Uh, we, we know how that went for him with, with Mr. Doncic. So um, there's more for the Clippers to do. I don't want to make it sound like the Clippers played just their perfect, absolute best game, and they're never going to play that well again. Like th- This is going to be a long series, I feel like. I, I thought they could win it in five. I'm not so confident in that anymore. I think that's fair. All right, let's move on to Lakers Grizzlies one with this. Uh, the John Moran injury changes the entire series. If that's the case, if he's going to miss time, if he's not going to play, the Lakers are going to probably win this in five or six. And that, that kind of sucks. I think we should like really just, I, I don't want to get into the, like the ban the charge discourse that really took over the basketball internet on, on Monday. That's not really I have another like, game real quick. Me. If you're ready. Okay. It's not a game. Yeah. It is a list and I'll go okay. quick. It is related to the discourse that you just mentioned. It is related to this game. There's two items on this list from Grizzlies Lakers. The list is the most unimportant but overhyped storylines of NBA playoffs weekend one. All right? Yeah. At number five, we have Shannon Sharp. I mean, that's that's just, number one of the bullet. That's just number one. So these are all There's, things that got mentioned a lot, but had no bearing on the game that was being played or the series or anything that happens in it. Okay. Number four, the Philadelphia 76ers trading Mikhail Bridges on draft night. Okay. Fun, also fun trivia stupid. fact, does not affect the outcome of any of the games. Nope. He's also been on one team between that, so even less important. Uh, number three, abolishing the charge. A lot of, lot of abolishing the charge talk this weekend, and... Um, from an injury standpoint, to your point, I do think it matters from a wins and losses standpoint, not so much. 
Number two, we have the travel between Sacramento and San Francisco. Okay. Not super consequential. Road game. Warriors struggled on the road. Didn't matter that it was in NorCal, Draymond. Yep. Uh, the idea that Warriors fans were going to overflow and flood Golden One Center was stupid and hilarious. Yes. Light the beam. Uh, number one, last but not least, quote-unquote rust for teams that had the week off. It, it, at some point, we got to just get, there's a play in now. Uh, some teams will play in the week between the regular season and the playoffs. That didn't used to be the case. It is now. That does not, that does, it's just not going to affect anything. Unless somebody can show me there's some sort of major against the spread or otherwise distinction between the teams that got some, some rub, some bump the week of uh, in between versus the teams that had that week off, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the number one seed having five days to practice and relax uh, did not seem to hurt them. Didn't seem to matter for Denver. So let's not pretend like it matters for other teams. That That's my uh, my little rant there. But those are the five. Did I miss anything? No, the Shannon Sharp one's easily the, the top one, though. Because like that's he doesn't even actually... He's, he's a talking head alongside Skip Bayless. Yeah. I mean, we're talking heads alongside nobody, nowhere, so... Yeah, but like... He, we, we, didn't, we didn't get in a courtside argument with <laughs> Steven true. Adams. Yeah, no one's talking about us, so it's it matches up. Whereas him, not so much <laughs> matching up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, boy, that was stupid. I, you know what? I, I sometimes I just like wonder, like, what are we doing with like what? What are these kerfuffles we're getting into for Draymond stomping no on people? Yeah, Draymond's got to be in WWE when he retires. I feel like I feel like he'd be great with the Cavender twins. Oh, they're, that's right. Yeah, I, I did. They're in the, they're in, they're like, they got like an NIL deal with the W. So it was like someone from that. Well, they're, they're leaving college and they're supposedly um, going to jump to the WWE. That's the rumor of they, they didn't take their COVID year despite like they're not going to go pro. They're not you know, at that level. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. People are wondering what's going on. Apparently, the NIL princesses are going to go be professional wrestlers <laughs> with Draymond Green. <laughs> who, who would be, what, what NBA player and what WMBO player would be the best professional wrestlers? I think I think Joel is like easily my answer for NBA player. Yeah, well, he's kind of big, but other than that, but yeah, like, he would actually hurt guys if he was out there running around. You know, or, the faking yeah. it part would be kind of tough when you're seven two, like sure seventy five or whatever he is. Jerry, um, Dylan Bro- Dylan Brooks knows how to get a reaction, so like Dylan Brooks would be another good answer. WNBA is definitely Liz Cambage, but I, I think that <laughs> has veered into the literal too often lately. So yeah. um, I, I don't know if I want to put that out there. Um, I have a, a question for you on the Lakers okay. stuff because this game ended up not the final score wasn't close. The jaw thing puts a damper on a lot. And like, look, we, we should say we, we don't know what jaw status exactly is, but it yeah. seems like I probably not going to play in game two. Right. Correct. That's kind of the, the the baseline right now. Yeah. I don't know if this is the best, and I don't want to come out and say that, but the four through eight that LeBron has on this team with Russell, Vanderbilt, Schroeder, and then some combination of Malik Beasley and Rui Hachimura, Mm -hmm. that's up there. Oh, yeah. With the best that he's ever had. You set aside whatever you think of Anthony Davis versus Dwayne Wade and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously, I think Austin Reeves is the number three. At this point, which Dude, is, Reeves is Reeves it, Reeves is really it, good. I I love the I love that like he's yelling I am him. I don't know if you yeah. saw that sound clip. I'm just like, oh yeah. And then I love that we got an all time LeBron line quote about Austin Reeves. 
What was it again? Oh yeah, line. Yes, uh, LeBron. I, from day one of practice, I knew he was going to be more than a two-way player. I knew he was yeah. going to be this. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. LeBron is a hundred percent to me the the goat in terms of basketball, and he's the goat at lying about things that he knew before everybody else. The Migos one is always going to be the best one, but like, <laughs> but the, this Austin Reeves one is is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, salute to Odell Beckham Jr. for calling him on it in that one uh, live stream that they did. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think of that? Is this the best four through eight playoff rotation that LeBron has had? Because even some of those Heat teams, you know, Battier and whatever, but you you don't get all the way to eight, right? Like. They have, and that's really even nine because I kind of combined like one of Beasley and Rui will go off on a given night. You never know, but that you could even just split them up and say four through nine. This is a legit deep team, and he didn't even have to do very much in this game for them to win. Yeah, the, and I think the question it begs is like, okay, like what is how much is LeBron on this foot? How much is he really going to be able to give? How much is LeBron really going to be able to kind of put forth and and figure out and and kind of how much can he put his gas, you know, put, put his foot on the gas pedal um, if this foot is really going to be a, a hindrance. But, like, I, I think the the skill sets they have around him in terms of the defense with Vanderbilt, the, sh- the playmaking and shooting with Reeves, what AD is obviously, like, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think it is, it's really deep. They did, a, I mean, like, they, they, were, they were awesome post the trade deadline. This team really remade itself in a really important way around him. This team is dangerous. Like I pick them to beat the Grizzlies. Like this, like this team is really well poised to be really annoying and be really good. It, I think so much now just centers on okay, what does LeBron have? How does the foot hold up? And just you know, I mean, there's we got an AD injury scare in game one. They're also just one Anthony Davis awkward fall away from just that being was like, well, yeah, he could, um, he just genuinely could not move his arm. I was like, I, what is happening? Are they gonna have to yeah. amputate this thing on the court? Like, what's happening right I now? I had a. I was texting some friends and I had had a buddy in high school and like have something similar like that happen where his arm got whacked and he like tore his bicep that way. And I was like, did AD? What's crazy is Davis didn't even, did it even get whacked? Like that was what was bizarre about it is like the hit wasn't that hard, you know? Yeah, but that's Anthony Davis like because he just falls and it's like it looks bad. Like that's like his superpower is that he falls and it looks like he's hurt and it's too bad. Like look, the big thing coming out of this game like in a real basketball sense is like, Jaws hurt. Triple J was incredible in a two-way sense, and like it just wasn't enough. Austin Reeves was great. AD was great. LeBron like did enough and like picked his spots in a really important way. And I don't think like they had like a real answer for LeBron. Obviously, defensively, like you know, like David Roddy, God bless him. I love Big Body Roddy, but like that's not something. That's not a guy that's going to be really equipped to defend LeBron over the course of a seven-game series. So like this is all just like a really kind of tricky wire to navigate for for yeah. Memphis you know they might still win a game or two like you know with if they get some better performances from guys but the jaw thing just hangs over this now and the, the Lakers also just look like they can go toe-to-toe with Memphis even if Jaw's healthy how who does Austin Reeves remind you of have you thought about this at all I spent a lot of time trying to come up with the comp because he has such a throwback game with the touch around the basket combined with the shooting ability from deep the pull-up ability from mid-range and he defends the best player on the opposing team. Not that it's like the best option to be doing that. And they did have Vanderbilt on jaw at times and Vanderbilt on Jaron Jackson at times. And Davis obviously factors heavily in there, but they have him as their point of attack defender. That's a pretty unique skill set. I, I was having a hard time coming up with a, a past player that he was reminiscent of. He's just very old school. 
Yeah, it, the thing it made me think of, and I, I want to get around and talk to some people about this, I think, but does does is there something that, like, because he was a four-year player who goes undrafted, how did just everyone miss this? Like, are we, like, are we just, like, are... Like, how do things just get missed that are, like, maybe, like, he's, he, I'm sure he's improved since he got there. Like, Phil Handy is, if you ask around the league, he's been, a, he's a Lakers assistant. He's been a player development guy in Cleveland and in Toronto, and he's, and he's uh, one of the main assistants in LA. He's, like, a very, very well regarded developmental coach. Like, he's, Kyrie has spoken lovingly about him. Like, he was there the, the Toronto season guy. with Kawhi. He's a Kobe guy. Um, he works with Haley Van Lith, um, in the summer as well, I believe. Joel Lloyd. Yeah, like he he this is like a legitimately one of the best like trainers we have in, in the sport. I'm sure so I'm sure Reese has gotten better like working with Phil Handy. I also like just wonder, okay, is there something in the scouting that like we're like every team just is like, okay, like four year guy, we're writing him off because there's no upside. Right? Like like how, how, like we obviously like people miss stuff on prospects. Like this is why like Jokic got picked where he did. And like Giannis, like obviously Giannis is a little bit different. He gets picked where he did. And like, you know, like there's guys that are the best guys in their classes that get picked much later. That that happens all the time. Like guys uh, overperform their draft position. How, but how did like, was there a miss where someone wasn't even just like at pick 50 being like, okay, like there's, there's some, maybe something here in Austin Reese. Let's take a flyer. And I, I would like to know like what scouts think about like, does this teach us something about skills that translate from college that were, that maybe the NBA is overlooking. Yeah, I think big playmakers, you know, maybe it's just partially that, that that positional ability has gotten valued so much more than it used to be. Whereas now maybe a player like him comes out and and the ability to shoot, handle and and playmake from, you know, basically a wing spot. It just he, he gets taken more seriously. Obviously, the athletic limitations would be the first place you go. He's not quite as mobile or athletic as you would want, but he makes it work. I mean, he's guarding John Morant. Like uh, you gotta, you gotta be doing something right physically to be able to do that. Um, But even he said right earlier in the season, he got asked like, why do people compare you and Caruso? And he was like, I mean, we all know the obvious answer, but we're not similar players. So I don't know why. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a very good question. Um, Where my mind goes though, is the Lakers are just actually really good at this. Like they do yeah. not get nearly enough credit for being incredible at at scouting and player development under Rob Palinka, and I do think with all that said about this supporting cast and this this cast of role players, it, there's a version, and not to make it you know the Russ uh, uh, overdo and redo that again, but there is a version of this Lakers situation if they don't ever do that trade that just keeps a, a contender rolling for most of the time LeBron's here. It's post Anthony Davis trade. I don't know why I said here like I live in Los Angeles. Um, that was a, that's a realistic possibility. They just got derailed for a couple of years because LeBron and AD or whoever it was pushed them to trade for a guy who didn't fit, but they've nailed a lot of these things on the margins, not only with getting vets that, that fit and make sense, but you know, even like Wendy and Gabriel, you know, mm-hmm. or a bunch of players they've traded over the years, Zubats, right? like all these guys wow. that, that have come through have been, been awesome. So still, uh, still, still truly one of the most hilarious trades in recent NBA history is Mike is even a Zubats for Mike Muscala. Like, what do we do? What, what, what magic's parting, parting gift uh, for the Lakers um, on the Memphis side. I have one question to close things out for you. Mm-hmm. 
what percentage likelihood do you have it at right now? If I just ask you off the top of your head, I did not tell you I was going to ask you this. Oh boy. That Jaron Jackson Jr. is the most valuable and dominant player on the Memphis Grizzlies next season. Like we we think of it as I, his team is a stupid way to put it, but basically that that he is the the guy on Memphis as soon as next season. I'm close to fifty percent. I he's such a good defender that he like Josh is never going to be that on that end. And I think in a lot it will always kind of be Josh Shogue just because of what Josh is and and how he plays and all of that. But like he Josh is not Josh unless he has Jaron Jackson Jr. So I like I'm I'm kind of near fifty percent on that to me just in terms of what Triple J provides. I think is just so innately valuable in a way that like. You it's it's tied into everything they do, right? Like as much as Ja is at an offense, I think Triple J is at on offense and defense more so on defense, obviously. But I don't, I don't I think it's close to fifty percent. Yeah, it's time for people to start thinking of him as an offensive force, too. Like mm-hmm. he's posting up LeBron James, he's powering through Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis, he's popping and shooting over whoever they send at him getting his shot off in all sorts of ways, driving to the basket, getting to the free throw line a little bit, not so much in this game, but he is a well-rounded, developed, polished scorer in a way that I honestly wasn't sure he would ever get to this point, and he's not even old yet. He's not even in his prime yet, and he's already doing this. He just scored 31 points in a playoff game. Nobody does that. It's not a fluke. That's not an accident. Like, he is, he's legit on offense, and he just won defensive player of the year. Yeah. insane. One of the first, he's one of the, He's second youngest ever to win defensive player of the year. I think if his handle gets tighter on some of those little duck and drives, like from the elbow, I think like he's going to become kind of unguardable in that spot. Maybe there's and a then obviously passing and stuff that kind of comes yeah. when the ball's in your hand, right? Like he's not polished, but I don't know if it'll be next year. I could see a world in which he's better than Ja at some point, just because of the two way ability. Yeah, I mean the defensive stuff is like, like we're going to be having like you know how there was there was like the Gobert and um. Like it was like kind of like Gobert and like the field was like in Draymond as like defensive player of the year. So I think we're going to be having like Mobley, Triple J, like defensive player of the year, like back and forth for the next like five years. Just what the league wants, a Memphis-Cleveland debate. Hey, you know, you know what? Market them better and you could do better. They're going to be fun players. I, I hope that the league gets a around like if you want to show off the basketball being played on the court in your sport, like the versatility and freakish abilities of like players like that, like that's, that's easy. Like just put a highlight up and it's kind of all you need to do. So yeah, they should be able to, but yeah, the rest of the series might be a showcase for Jaron. Honestly, it's not a lot else going on. Yeah. If it's, if it's no job. Yeah, a lot on Bain, uh, a lot on Canard. Just gonna need to let it fly. That guy's like a little hesitant to shoot. He just needs to like let some of those ones where the window's like half open, just let it go. Um, and they need to stop isolating against Anthony Davis. They were going out of their way to send the ball toward him. How about don't, don't do that? Yeah, just look. AD had like a phenomenal defensive year, and like he's a really good defender. Like, what are, what are we doing here? Um, to bring this full circle. Lakers win this and the Kings win this. We're getting Lakers Kings. Like, sign me up. I'm not ready to bury the Warriors, but I'm not either. I'm just I'm like, also ready for Lakers Warriors, frankly. So give me yeah, any of that. There's there's like no bad outcome here. Yeah. There's none. Not at all. Um 
Brennan, we'll we'll just end on this. Any any so the other series we didn't talk about, uh Nuggets Wolves. Nuggets just kind of dominated game one. Heat Bucks, Giannis obviously leaves with a, a back injury, but it seems like he's gonna play. But Tyler Hero broke his hand. He's probably he's gonna miss four to six weeks, probably done for the year, based on when we think kind of Miami's getting eliminated, then 76ers, Nets, Philly's up 2-0. Is there anything from those series that has kind of caught your eye that we should hit on? I think just Jacques Vaughn, frankly. Like, I, you know, he he should have been the coach the whole time in Brooklyn, and he's proving himself big time uh, in this game. They're, they're doubling Embiid every time he touches the ball. They are, you know, trying to cobble together some transition offense. Their transition defense was bad in game one, but that's okay. They let it fly. They went super small. Dayron Sharp did not play in game two. They just embraced. Rose O'Neal was their backup center. And they're just saying, hey, like, this is who we are. Let's just go ahead and try it. But you give that team a serviceable playmaker next season and even just one more big. And I I think they they'll might be right back in the mix for the sixth seed. Like, because he has gotten them to kind of galvanize around an identity this quickly since the KD trade. And they weren't amazing down the stretch of the season. I'm not trying to overstate it, but I guess they just feel like they're on the upswing. And the fact they're even competitive in these games, like they have been is a, is a huge Testament to him. Yeah. My thing is just that Jimmy Butler is just like relentless. And I love Jimmy Butler. That's it. I just think Jimmy Butler is just like, kind of like just, he has just got to be so annoying to deal with. The other thing, there's one other thing. Rob Williams looked really good in game one. Looked very yeah. healthy. Looked very healthy. And that that would... Uh, and then he will not play in game two. <laughs> we, it could be. like That's how it goes with him. But yeah, he did. He looked really good. And if he can like play, uh, boy, oh boy, that, that makes the East um, a little more competitive, I think. But let's end there. Brennan, I actually we're gonna we're gonna do one thing live. Then I'm not you. You surprised me with so many things. I'm just doing this because I want to do it. We're gonna do a tankathon sim up until the draft lottery every at the end of the very episode. Here's what I'm doing it today. You'll do the next one. Here we go. All right. Here's here's the top five. Go. Do you want me to go five to one or one to five? Five to one. Okay. Detroit at five, slipping four spots. Charlotte stays at four. The Houston Rockets at three. They drop one spot. The Chicago Bulls jumping nine spots to two and the Indiana Pacers jumping six spots to number one overall. No. Victor Wembanyama, welcome to Rick Carlisle and welcome to Tyrese Halliburton land. Miles Turner, sorry, you have to play with another center you don't want to play with. Yeah, Miles Turner has uh, already been sent somewhere on a trade draft night. Um, he's, and he, no, 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 he's being talked about being traded somewhere to draft night, yeah. but nothing will actually happen. That is what, that was what was as well. Yeah, him and John Collins are just like, is there a, is there a Turner no, Collins swap? the Indiana swap? Pacers do not deserve Victor Wembanyama. Um, and it has nothing to do with Carlisle or Halliburton or any of that. It is solely about the way that they run their franchise. And uh, I don't think you should be rewarded for choosing to be mediocre and, and not invest in the property that you own. So go ahead and do that, and then you can have Vic. Until then, no. Uh, I, I, I saw somebody bring up the idea that he just is one of the first players to just say no. I think the it was Beaumont Jones. We'll pull the um, uh, Simmons has been talking about this, and they've been like, yeah. does he pull the Eli? He called it the Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. When Eli Manning like refused, if to it's go to the, the Pacers, Chargers. I might buy it. I think I would refuse to go to Houston. <laughs> At this point, 
I look, man. I, I, I'll tell you about something that I'll text you about this. The Houston Rockets fans are weird. Just a bunch of weirdos on Twitter.com. I think that's my least favorite fan base to interact with on Twitter. It's fair. Bunch of weirdos. All right, let's end there. I'm Chris. That's Brendan. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. Please subscribe and give us a five star rating and review in your podcast platform of choice if you have not already. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back um, on a Thursday after the Wednesday night games, giving you more analysis and breakdowns. We'll see where these series stand. And we'll do another Tankathon time where Brendan will do at that time. And, and perhaps the Indiana no Pacers, Pacers will not. No, he'll just keep doing it until the Indiana Pacers do not get the number one pick. Until then, peace out, y'all. Have a good Enjoy the basketball.